Anyway. Okay. Sorry, we booped and then I started talking about penises. I apologize. That's status quo. Sometimes you just got to talk about dong. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a true crime and horror podcast where we bring true stories and not so true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm your host, Alexandria Young Ray, with my lovely co host, Sunshine Bill On. Hi there. <laughs> so refined, so dignified. Yeah. <laughs> Anymore, I feel put on the spot. I'm like, almost like I got to do something. Like, I either got to, like, bro down or say howdy, y'all. Like, sometimes I just want to say hello. Just in the mood to say hello tonight. You can just say hello tonight. That is just fine. (laughs) So I've actually, I've been bitching a lot about doing a bunch of research. But, Uh yes, I don't understand religion. So I spent a lot of time understanding stuff that most people were raised understanding so what do they call that you're playing catch-up i'm playing catch-up i'm Mm -hmm. playing catch-up on on how to god and how to god God. (laughs) that said this is like kind of my cheat week really like oh man i can do cults all day this is not emotionally difficult for me This is not hard for me to research because I already have most of the information in my brain already. Like, (laughs) this is a a nice break from Nazis. (laughs) Yeah, a good break from Nazis. A good break from Nazis. You know, it gets dark at points as anything is going to in a true crime and horror podcast. But no, it's, it's, (sighs) it is a surprisingly light topic for the true crime field. Ooh, lovely. Yeah. I'm I'm feeling that. Both it, in regards to gets, what we've been covering yeah. and in my like life in rural Utah, I think. Yeah. Ugh. After our, our uh prior to recordings on domestic terrorists, I've been just anxiety levels just so I was actually talking to my uncle about this the other day when we were driving uh over to my grandparents. I was like, yeah. I I always knew I always knew about the like super conservative elements to where we live, but now, now I'm just more afraid of it. Yeah, and and he told me that he actually was reading an article recently that talked about how it, like was kind of mapping hotbeds of like white nationalism and that kind of stuff uh, in the U.S. and how like there's a little pocket in Salt Lake City, but other than that, like Utah doesn't really have a lot of documented like white supremacy issues. That's good. And he was and he said he's like, well. I don't know, though, how much of that has to do with the reality of the situation versus how things are reported. And I was like, I think the problem with out here is that people, there's such a culture. Well, and I think there's such a culture of passive aggressive behavior that, like, I think people, I think there's a lot of really shitty, really pervasive beliefs that affect how people live their day to day lives. But that no one, I guess, for the better, has the balls to be uh, vocal about in public. Right. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of people with, I mean, and you know, like our, our neighbor kitty corner mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess I just blocked it out, but they, ha- they literally fly a flag that is half, half 
So it defaced the U.S. flag, half the U.S. flag, half Confederate flag sewn together. Ooh, that's icky. That is also, icky. Also, you're from Utah. Fuck off. Yeah, which we doesn't make any sense. We didn't fight like, in the war north or south. Yeah. The Confederate flag definitely, I think, has just become a symbol for I want the freedom to be racist. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, there are Canadian, like, neo-Nazis and, and racists that use the Confederate, Confederate flag. flag. And it's like, yeah. you're from Canada. That wasn't even your war. That's like if I right. were flying the, like, uh, French Revolution flag. Right. Like, well, that's that the thing. It's, it's, it is. Me. <laughs> I think, well, I do think that the Confederate flag has, has become a big symbol for the right to secession, you know, states' rights. I just hate the monarchy, Sunshine. So I the fly march. the French Revolution flag. <laughs> I know. I think I actually think that I want to get uh if I can ever afford it, I want to get a flagpole and just fly the equality flag. So it's like what would be oh, the best That would be so great. Like what would be the best counter to that that will, you know. <laughs> you could also fly the please no steppy snake. <laughs> oh my god, I need that to would give be you the a best. whole bunch of flags. <laughs> I need the please no steppy snake. <laughs> I think that might get my house like egged. I don't know. You switch back and forth between the equality flag and the please no steppy snake. I would just need to put the please no steppy snake up on like the twenty fourth. Hell yeah! Oh my god, that's so <laughs> glorious. I love it. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that brings yeah. me so much joy. So anyway, stuff. sorry, Colts. It's, yeah, I'm sorry. Y'all. It's not. It's not light, light. It's still true crime, but it's it's. I don't know. I just have a way easier time dealing with cults than I do with neo-Nazis. Yeah. So much easier. And there's, like, not racism Why, why do you think that is? And, like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably because of the not racism. Well, because, like, okay, so here's the thing about cults. Destructive cults. The bad cults. Right. No matter how you define them, they're a cult and it's bad. Right. I identify with so readily because it's just an abusive relationship on a really big scale yeah so so you start with this like charming face that's like hey i've got all of this nice shit for you come meet jesus or come find enlightenment or come and, come find community and yeah come find support come find love yeah whatever whatever it is that you need we've got that so come join us. And it seems really nice and it seems really chill. And then slowly they start asking for more and more of you. And you start giving up yourself, your personal property, your identity, your relationships. And it mm-hmm. isolates you. And it and it emotionally abuses you. And sometimes it physically abuses you. And slowly you start just sunk cost fallacy mm-hmm. so hard that you're just in it. You're just in it. Yeah, that's yourself. who you are now. And and so whenever I learn about cults, I'm like, oh, yeah, because... Right, you can empathize with the experience. Because I can empathize with the experience, yeah. And so, and so like, I, I don't believe in mass suicide. Mm. What, in, what do you mean? I think that it's mass murder. So are you, I guess, I, 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 are you drawing that line because you're saying that you... If someone were to be charged, let's say, as a cult leader, 
for instigating mass suicide that they should be charged with murder? Or are you saying you don't actually believe that these people who engaged in mass suicide willingly engaged in mass suicide? I, I'm not thinking of it in legal terms. Um, I, I know that I often should, but you rarely charge cult leaders with being the leader of a cult. And also, usually in a mass suicide, the leader also dies. So I, I wasn't thinking of it legally. You're saying that you don't think anybody could willfully take part in a mass suicide and not have it be like coercion or? Yeah, yeah. I think it's coerced. I think that they may have technically gone willingly at the time, but I think that were it not for that cult leader, like emotionally abusing them, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have reached the decision to kill themselves on their own. That said, I might, I might not feel that way about Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate was the UFO cult. Okay. And I'm sure that we'll cover it on this podcast at some point and, and I'll, you know, come to like a really solid stance on mm-hmm. it. But I think that like in in most cases, if there is a mass suicide, I think that it is murder. One, because there are definitely some people who just didn't want to go. Okay. Like there are people who actively objected in these situations. And then ended up drinking the Kool-Aid regardless? Yes. And, and another situation is is these cults usually have children. Yeah. Children can't consent, period. You can't consent to dying if you're a child the same yeah. as you can't consent to having sex with an adult. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, in a lot of cases, we're talking literal infants. Oh, We're not talking upsetting. 13-year-olds. We're talking two-year-olds. Oh, that's two-year-old so sad. two-year-old cannot consent to suicide. No. Yeah. Ooh, I don't um, like that. And so, you know, Heaven's Gate, only adults, Jonestown, lots of kids. And that's, that is actually what I kind of want to up top this with. Mm-hmm. The Jonestown Massacre happened in 1978. Okay. So it wasn't recent, but it was in like the American history. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've got the order, we've got Ruby Ridge. And that's definitely an important factor in how the government reacted to this particular cult. Mm-hmm. But I also want to put in the Jonestown Massacre as a thing that's on the American mind. Okay. Because it's really important in the way the ATF acted. Okay. Because our our First Amendment right to freedom of speech, freedom of religion, really, really, really sanked in our country. Mm-hmm. Freedom of religion actually gets you pretty far. And so we didn't interfere with Jonestown. Partially it was because they moved to Guyana and so we couldn't, we didn't have jurisdiction anymore. But we didn't interfere before then. And then 900 people died. Wow. So America is looking at that and saying maybe we should take destructive cults way more seriously than we have. Because 900 people dying is not okay. Yeah, that's you know? too many. That's too many. <laughs> it's too, too, too many. So, you know, I don't want to do like a whole episode on Jonestown yet because, look, we've got a schedule. We stick into the schedule. We stick into the schedule. <laughs> but I do want that to be like in the minds of everyone. Right. It's there. So now we're going to go back, back in time and start from the beginning. Okay. Back, back. Way back so, machine. 
The Branch Davidians is the cult that we're talking about. Okay. They start from Millerism. And what is Millerism? So the Millerites followed William Miller. Okay. And William Miller started preaching in 1833 that the second advent of Christ would come approximately 1883... 18, yes, 1883 to 84. Mm -hmm. He predicted several dates based on mathematics he pulled from the book of Daniel. Okay. I think, is Daniel just a book? Yes, Daniel's just a book. God, look at me. (laughs) Daniel's just a book. Daniel's just one book. David's several books. Daniel's one book. These are things that I learned very recently. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So yeah, he pulls math from Daniel, which does have some end time prophecies in it. Okay. And predicts these dates are the end time. Mm-hmm. And so at its peak, the Millerites actually had over a thousand followers. Sorry, oh, wow. A hundred thousand followers. That's like Well, a, I was a even willing show. to think a thousand was a lot in this era. You know, again, I always try to remind myself, uh, in the long, long ago without social media and all that sort of stuff, even getting a thousand people to go along with whatever shit you were spouting. Yeah. Uh, pretty good. But a hundred thousand is impressive. A hundred thousand followers. That's mightily impressive. Yeah. So by definition, they were eschatological, which is my favorite new word. It means that word they mean? were doomsday. They believed in like the impending end of times real soon. Eschatological. All right. Eschatological. Which is... Which is another weird thing that I that I was wrapping my head around while trying to understand religion. So every Christian technically believes in revelation. Okay. Which means technically every Christian is eschatological. But like Meaning. only kind of because most Christians are like, yeah, whatever, the end times are coming whenever, not anytime soon. But some Christians are like, it's coming now. And that's the actual eschatological definition. Right. Are the ones who are like, act. I mean. The like end the, is the, nigh. Right. The religious version of doomsday preppers. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But that was a, that was like a weird thing that I wrapped my head around recently was like, y'all actually all believe that the end of the world is coming with revelation. Just some of you think it's like super fast. And some of you are like YOLO. see also alex talking about religion with no concept of anything sanctity (laughs) so so basically the millerites lived in constant fear and excitement like simultaneously Mm -hmm. for the upcoming apocalypse like like you do because revelation I've maybe talked to you. I've technically read Revelation. Okay. Um, I've read parts of the Bible. I just haven't read all of the Bible. But um, Revelation is like metal as fuck. Really? Oh my god. It is definitely the coolest part of the Bible. <laughs> like, there is weird ass fucking, like, bizarre chimerical animals with like seven fucking eyeballs and there's seas of blood and gore and it's it's metal cool it's it's pretty metal it's pretty epic but like basically you know if you think that you're going to like be alive and aware during the end times like 
Some Christians believe that the rapture comes like immediately and then bad stuff happens. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Revelation, it actually kind of implies that a whole bunch of bad stuff happens before the rapture even comes. And then worse stuff happens. But like, you're living through some bad shit. (laughs) Right. That part of the part of you being raptured might actually just be you dying in some horrible way. Yeah. And then if you survive the horribleness for long enough, you'll actually be like rapture raptured. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that a little bit later when we get into, like, the beliefs of, like, this particular cult in, in specific mm-hmm. um, and, like, the story of David Koresh. But, yeah, no, it's, it's like, simultaneously, you're super stoked because you're going to get raptured and live forever and, and heaven and blah, blah, blah. But also, you're super scared because the rapture also involves terrifying awfulness. Yeah. Okay. Which is kind of neat. Sounds like a lot of anxiety to live under. They probably had, like, through-the-roof cortisol levels. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So his final predicted day, like, each each prediction came and went, and they were like, the final (laughs) predicted day was the Great Disappointment. So it's October 22nd, 1844. His followers dressed in white robes and spent the night on rooftops. Um, the white robes is a thing from Revelation. Mm-hmm. And they waited for the apocalypse to come. And they were on rooftops. in Revelation. They were on rooftops because... I think because the implication was that you would, like, ascend to heaven. So they wanted to be there. Right. Where God could, could see you. I guess. <laughs> okay. But, you know, the sun set and then it rose. And the world continued. Oh no! And everyone was big bummed. And big I mean, bummed. I posted I posted a couple of comics about the Millerites that were simultaneously uh, informative while also delightfully entertaining. The ones on the outline here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll definitely post that to the Instagram because yeah, I definitely awesome. I think to me the second one's funnier because they look so disappointed. The second one's definitely funnier. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, 30, 30 of his followers ended up in asylums. So really? it was not great. Yeah. Because they were so bummed about the end of the world not Basically, happening. Basically, the great disappointment was great and disappointing. <laughs> so out of the great disappointment, another religion is formed. Mm-hmm. Ellen G. White. In 1840, when Ellen was... 12 mm-hmm. her family joined the millerites so f- she's got four years to live mm-hmm. <laughs> she said that it, that was one of the happiest times of her life was like she was really really fucking anxious but then she got baptized and she was like okay we're good wow she she was a prophetess okay and in her lifetime she had over two thousand visions were any her- of them correct I don't know. <laughs> okay. It's religion. I talk about vi- I, I talk about people having visions as if they believed that they had them, but I have no stance on whether or not they were right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. But um her first vision came shortly after the great disappointment. Mm. And her husband, James Springer White, Believed her visions, and they were married in 1845. So she founded the Seventh-day Adventists. 
which was formally established in 1863. Okay. And that's like, that's like a name that you might recognize. There. Yeah, I've heard of Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah. They're still around. They're still around. They're an actual living church. One of, one of my favorites, uh, favorite quotes from God knows who about cults was the difference between a cult and religion is a hundred years. Yeah. I actually, after we were discussing cult versus religion, I was like, all right, I'm just going to like do a quick Google of this so I can see what the standard accepted. Like I was looking more like dictionary literary definition, right? Just what is the accepted Did you find like 70 and definition one of, of the word quote? Well, the very first, <laughs> I didn't even look, but the first, the very first one from biography online is one short definition of the difference between a religion and a cult. A religion is an old cult. A cult is a new religion. Yeah. And so yeah, that's pretty much, that's, that's like, okay. Is, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like people who study religions who don't say the word cult ever. They call everything a new religion. Yeah. Because, because yeah, everything's a cult. Yeah. But it's a pejorative word. So everything's not a cult. It's a new religion. Right. So, yeah. It's, it's complicated. It's very gray. God, mm-hmm. it's complicated. We need to get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yep, it's complicated. I'm going to say that every single fucking episode like 70 times. I think so, you probably already have. Is this like a goal or is this something you're just acknowledging? Because I think I'm that, just acknowledging. Yeah, there's yeah. no reason it's to... It's not a goal. It's just a thing that I keep doing. Yeah. It's complicated. So, so the seventh day uh, is significant because of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God made the earth in seventh days. Yeah, on the seventh day. Well, wait, I thought it was on the seventh day he rested. Yeah. Made the earth but in six also, days. On the seventh know, day he rested. That's the saying. But the the adherence of the Sabbath is like a big deal for right. the Seventh-day Adventists. Which is on Saturday for them. Which is like oh. Seventh-day Adventists and Jews. Right. Okay. Saturday Sabbath. And then the Advent being the reference of the return of Christ. Okay. So Seventh-day Adventists. And the church has 28 core beliefs, one of them being the the Sabbath Saturday thing. But the big one was the existence of a of modern day living prophets. Okay. See also Ellen G. White, modern mm-hmm. day living prophet. And that is relevant in like, you know, the rest of the the divisions. Mm-hmm. So that's that's still the 1800s. In comes Victor Hotef, Hotef. Mm-hmm. He founds the Davidian Seventh Day Adventists in 1929. Okay. So, Davidian is a reference to David from the the biblical King David. He fights the Goliath. Yeah. And he becomes a king, and um, the teachings are actually you know it's very similar to Seventh Day Adventism, <laughs> but they're far enough that the church actually is formally disfellowed. Okay. So excommunicated yeah and um basically uh the the reason for the reference to david is the belief that the descendants of king david would return to rule over palestine during the end times okay so i think basically the idea is that you need a descendant of king david to usher in Right, a descendant of King David has to be ruling Palestine in order for the end of days to happen? Something like that, yeah. So that's going to have a lot of political implications for the war in Israel. Oh, yeah. We get there. It's not <laughs> It's not like the biggest part of this discussion, mm-hmm. but it, it does come up. Okay. 
And then in 1935, he settles the church in a compound on Mount Carmel, just outside Waco, Texas. Okay. So that's where this compound comes from. Okay. It's actually founded in 1935. And then uh, in comes Benjamin Roden and his wife, Lois. Okay. So they begin attending the church at Mount Carmel in the 50s. Hotef dies in 1955, and mm-hmm. within the year, Benjamin Roden has a vision from God, because prophets, mm-hmm. and is told to write a letter. And he says, I'm not the author, I can't sign this, and God tells him to sign it, The Branch. And thus, The Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. Okay. Bam! I figured out religion. Okay. <laughs> I cracked the code. I still don't get religion. But, I found I followed this one. Um, so Benjamin Roden dies in 1978, leaving mm-hmm. his widow, Lois Roden, as the serving prophetess and leader. Okay. And while Benjamin is still ailing, Lois has her first vision that she is the real world manifestation of the feminine Holy Spirit. Wow. Which is pretty fucking That's, wicked. Yeah, like, good for her. So. The manifestation of to that. woman god. All right. Yeah. We will, we will get back to that, uh, later. So now we're going to get to Vernon Wayne Howell. Who is Mr. Oh, is that this guy? That's this guy. With the with sweet the glasses. All right. Aviators. He looks so 70s. Yes, he does. But he's 90s. That's so interesting. But he looks so 70s. I think that was a thing, though. I think that in the yeah, 90s, they had so. the 90s was like throwback 70s yeah, style. It was like weird throwback. It was very gaudy. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So. Our our boy, David Koresh, was born Vernon Wayne Howell. Oh. Yeah. I was like, wait, David Koresh? I thought you said Vernon Wayne Howell. <laughs> yes. So so the leader, you know, the leader of this infamous cult is uh, David Koresh, but he's born Vernon Wayne Howell. And we're going to call him Vernon until... Until he becomes until David. Change. Okay. Because otherwise it's going to get so confusing. At that point, are we going to explain... How and yeah, why he's okay. We're gonna explain it. Yeah. Okay, okay, thank you. It's not going you. to be a sudden slip. <laughs> <laughs> so he's born August 17th, 1959, in Houston, Texas, to 15 mm-hmm. year old high school dropout Bonnie Sue Clark. Oh dear. Sorry, Bonnie 19- Sue. Sorry, Bonnie Sue. And 19 year old Bobby Wayne Howell. Don't like that. Yeah, Bobby dips out two months before Ber- Vernon's born. Well, of course and he does. He never meets his dad. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> yeah, well. What yeah. you gonna do? 14-year-olds should be fucking... Me and you both have no pity for, <laughs> for yeah, daddy no, that's, issues. That's, yeah, just nope. That that regularly comes up in the stories of these guys, and I'm always like, shut up. Right? As, as <laughs> of somebody dick. somebody slipped it in there, like, here, have empathy. And it's like, hmm, not the card to play. Not for that one. <laughs> no. Oh, you didn't have a dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe I should have been a murderer, too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so so vernon is four years old when bonnie sue also dips out oh only for a few years she so she leaves him with grandma earlene clark Mm -hmm. who's big religious but i mean i don't know it's grandma from the fucking 60s in texas yeah yeah And then Bonnie Sue comes back when Vernon's seven, and she is now married to alcoholic abusive Roy Halderman. Oh, Bonnie Sue. Yeah, great. Not not, not the best. Stop uh, making bad choices, please. (laughs) You know, it happens. 
so so Vernon joins Bonnie Sue's church, the Seventh Day Adventists. Okay. Da 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 da. I apologize for a little. <laughs> so Vernon was not great in school. Mm-hmm. He was dyslexic. Okay. And separated into special ed classes. Mm-hmm. And the kids nicknamed him Mr. Retardo. Oh, no. <laughs> that was exactly my response. <laughs> uh, you laugh a little bit and then feel really bad for yeah, it. Yeah, you're like, oh, no, and you giggle. Because it's kind of like the funniest nickname you've ever heard. <laughs> it's a bad nickname. It's not even it's clever. Such it's a just a bad nickname. It's one of those uh, things where, yeah, it's like, of course a kid would say that. It's like, you don't know how to swear. You're like, oh, that's a real burn. Sure. Yep. But no, your, your response was exactly <laughs> my response. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, gets dark for a second. So Vernon's eight, and he alleges that a group of boys, maybe his cousins, question mm-hmm. mark, attempted to rape him. Oh no! So that's that's actually big yuck. That's I will terrible. Pity him for that, yeah, that's, don't that's like that. Great. At eight so, years old. Yeah, uh. Mister Retardo, you're fine. Dad missing, you're fine. Attempted rape at eight. That's a big yuck. That's a big yuck, and especially will, in that. Uh, I will gladly give you empathy for that. Yeah. Because that's big yuck. So so Vernon Vernon's always into religion. Mm-hmm. That's his that's his big thing. He's one of those weird kids. Well, you get alienated and ostracized, and of course, yeah, that's like just kind of a religion thing. makes like a. I mean, that makes sense as far as somewhere to turn to to feel powerful and to feel protected and to feel mm-hmm. yeah. competent. And... It's one of those like I understand that there's a lot of reasons for religion. Yeah, and because he can't read well, he starts memorizing the bible oh wow so he's got these big like tracks of bible memorized and i think ultimately he ends up being able to memorize the whole bible wow and he starts preaching to other kids at school okay actually kind of jim jonesy (laughs) at some point when we when we do Jim Jones, which we we will, but that's a that's a big research that I'm just not ready for. Jim Jones also was preaching to other kids at school. Oh, okay. So apparently, watch out for children preaching to other children because they're gonna grow up to be a cult leader. All right, yeah. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on that at the elementary school down the street. Yeah. It, if I see little children seems- on soapboxes, I'll be like, ah, get down from there. Yeah, instead of get off my lawn, it's get off that soapbox. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That sounds like something else. Yeah, it also seems as if he may have started having visions from a young age. Okay. So there's some theorizing that these were ecstatic hallucinations. Mm-hmm. So there's a like a psychological theory behind basically how prophets come okay. to be. Which is a little bit dismissive of religious experiences, but it's also like science likes explaining everything. Yeah. On a physiological and chemical level in regards to what's happening in your brain. Yeah. And so basically it's like an epileptic thing or a schizophrenic thing where you have a religious hallucination. Mm -hmm. 
And so you feel close to God, maybe you experience, like, sensations, maybe you experience, like, a whole thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. the visions and everything. Um, and they think that that explains how quite a few prophets have come to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you think that you talked to God because you had this ecstatic hallucination. Right. And, like, sorry, religious people, but also science likes doing that. Yeah. And also, science explaining why you experienced it doesn't actually negate the possibility. Or how you experienced it. Science explaining yeah. how. Uh, you can. St- understanding how it works. Yeah. Doesn't Just mean that you have it's. Ex- yeah. Like a scientific explanation for the fact. I mean, because, like, there's always going to be a how did this happen? Right. God can't just will something to be and it have no basis in reality for it to exist. Well, or there's always a pathway and there's always a mechanism. Yeah. There's always yeah. a pathway. And so, like, there's plenty of religious people that believe that God created the Earth. It's just that he did it through evolution. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Ecstatic hallucinations. Saying it's a hallucination makes it sound like you're dismissing it. But it doesn't actually dismiss that. You know? Right. Well, it doesn't actually dismiss the theological value if you believe in that. Yeah, exactly. If you believe God spoke to you and it happened to be through a hallucination, then you believe that God spoke to you and we can simultaneously be right. Right. They're not mutually exclusive is the quick way to say that, right? That understanding what a hallucination is on a physiological level does not exclude the possibility that you're having a religious experience. Yeah. Yeah. The end. So, blah, blah, blah. Dude starts having visions. And that's one of the things that makes me not specific. Like, okay, there's things that kind of makes me hate this dude. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the things that makes me hate him a little bit less is that I believe at least a lot of the time he did think that he was right. That he was right. He he being believed what he was to by God and right. He believed what he was saying and wasn't trying yeah. to be a self-serving crazy douchebag. Yeah, for the most part, like, there are definitely some people where like where you're like, nah, you just wanted power and started doing too much meth. Yeah. <laughs> Did I just reference Jim Jones again? <laughs> <laughs> so. Vernon drops out in the ninth grade, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense. And this is this is the early 1970s. Okay. So he's doing odd jobs to to do his, you know, to get by, to do his thing. He gets real good at playing the guitar. Oh, good for him. And he even joins a few bands. Oh. So, you know, 70s rock star thing. And then at 18, Vernon hooks up with a younger girl Hmm. that he refers to as Linda. I've heard referred to as Linda. Her name might have been Linda. She's never been, like, tracked down and, like... Really? Named. I'm sure that it's known, maybe, but, like... It it seems like one of those things where, like, I don't feel the need to find out who this woman is Mm -hmm. because she's not actually part of the story... Of what happened, and so if she wants privacy, that's fine. Right, okay. It's kind of my thing. Right, right, right. So, I heard her referred to as Linda, and so she's Linda. And so she's Linda. (laughs) Yep. And because of his, like, super, super religious, he gets 
freaked out and he takes off. Okay. I feel like this is a good, like, pause for cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had a discussion of sunk cost at, like, the very top when we're yeah. talking about how you end up in a cult. Yeah. And it's an abusive relationship and all that jazz. But cognitive dissonance, I feel like, is a really, really important part of Vernon's take on life. Okay. Because basically, so blah, 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 cognitive dissonance. Basically, whatever it is that you believe and whatever it is that is the action you're doing, Mm -hmm. don't align. And so either you have to change your actions or you have to change your beliefs. Right. And when you have cognitive dissonance, you don't need to do either because you just ignore it, right? Uh, no, that's just the statement that is cognitive dissonance. Oh, okay, okay. okay. So sometimes you live in that state Mm -hmm. of cognitive dissonance where, like, you are uncomfortable with your beliefs and your actions not aligning. Right. But a lot of times you either change your actions or you change your beliefs. Yeah. And so I think that, and, and, and this will come up later in the story, but I think a lot of times... He does something that he knows is wrong, but he finds a way to justify it in the God told him kind of way. Right. In the biblical or prophetic way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think, I think that that, I think that's that this moment of him having that weird, oh shit, I had sex, I'm religious and I feel bad. Mm-hmm actually kind of is impactful for the rest of his life because i think this is where he learns to weird justify shit right it's a formative it's like a formative moment where he Mm -hmm. starts thinking about justifications for his human sexuality yep so like he freaks out he runs off but then she goes and finds him Mm -hmm. and she's like hey you got me pregnant (gasps) and he's like oh fuck and she's like it's cool though i already had an abortion oh that's not gonna go over well with him well, then they get back together, like, romantically. Okay. And he moves in with her and her father's home. Okay. And they continue to have sex. So, you know, formative cognitive dissonance. But because of religious reasons, they don't use protection. She's already had an abortion. Right. And they're having premarital sex, but because of religious reasons, no condom. Yeah. Okay. So he has a tendency to to pick and choose. That's a whole hell of a lot of cognitive dissonance, isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. I it's feel like time. I don't personally believe that abortion is a sin, but I feel like if I did, I would think that a condom would be the lesser of two evils. Well, uh, you try saying that to the people that are against both sex education and contraception. And abortion. <laughs> and see how they respond. Just because, don't talk about genitals. Yeah, because that's basically how they feel. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. But um, I'm going to give you a real curveball here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to blow your damn mind. You did not see this coming. Okay. She gets pregnant again. Oh, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like women ovulate or something. <laughs> so Vernon gets kicked out. <laughs> And he, he's really confused. He's like, wait, but we were fucking, how come I can't knock her up? Wait, Vernon feels that way? Like, why can we have sex but not have baby? And so he- How old is he he at this point? He feels super rejected and he dives headfirst further into religion. He's 18. Okay. 
So he's young and stupid, but he's an adult and should know better at the same time. Right. Yeah. Okay. So around this time, Vernon gets into the idea of the feminine Holy Spirit. Okay. Which apparently shows up here and there in a Bible. In the Bible, I am unaware of it. I asked some of my religious friends. They didn't say anything about it. Maybe I should ask a Seventh-day Adventist. That said... Well, that would make sense, right? If the Seventh-day Adventist came from... Uh, a woman the Davidian, right? Was wait, was it? Yeah, Seventh Day Adventist. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was the one that decided she was the embodiment of. No, that was Lois. Rhoda. That was Lois. Okay, but either way, that's still the same. Like coming down the line, there's a couple instances mm-hmm. in the formation of that church of like the divine feminine. Yeah. That said, he's still just at the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Okay. So just Ellen White. We haven't gotten to the other oh, okay. branches. And. He, you know, brings this to church. He's like, hey, guys, I found this, like, feminine Holy Spirit thing that I'm really into. And they're like, nah, brah, fuck off with that crazy shit. God's a dude. We don't do feminine shit here. Oh, okay. Christians. (laughs) (laughs) Christians don't like the poon. They do not like the poon. Except for when they like the poon and then feel bad about it. Okay. Fuck. Yep. I need to not cover religion because I am so insane. No, it's fine. I don't mean to be. I just am. Yeah, it's it's all right, Alex. Let's let's keep going. I want to I want to keep getting into this here. Keep going. Just keep going. Just dig a deeper hole. Yeah. So 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 he brings the the feminine Holy Spirit thing to church, and Mm -hmm. they're not down. And he really he really like seals the deal with uh getting the hots for the pastor's daughter. Oh yeah. Okay. And and so he's like, hey, I I want to get with you with your girl, and the pastor's like, hell nah, and he prays about it and is like, God said I should, and the pastor's like, double hell nah, and he gets kicked out. <laughs> God said I should. Don't worry, God wants me to bone your daughter. It's fine. <laughs> Which will really really go well with the pastor. <laughs> so Vernon's twenty one now. He moves to L.A. to start a music career, mm. which another correlation to a cult leader, Charles Manson. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's our sign off. Oh, it is, huh? Uh-huh. I was like. <laughs> In case anybody that's been listening for a while didn't get the reference to our sign off, our sign off is a Manson song. So creepy. I'm sorry for being classy. <laughs> no, classy creepy. So LA doesn't work out as you do, uh, but it's a hell of a good time. And he moves back to Texas. <laughs> okay. And when he comes back to Texas, he he just starts feeling like everything is closer to end times. Mm-hmm. You know, like just shit gets more intense for him. Okay. So according to the Seventh Day Adventists. That means that there's a prophet alive on Earth. Okay. Because, you know, blah, 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 we believe in living prophets. But if the end times are now, Mm -hmm. then there's got to be a prophet. Okay. So Bonnie Sue, his mom, points him in the direction of Lois Warden. Okay. Lois Roden near Waco, Texas. Okay. She's feminine Holy Spirit. Right, 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 right. So it's 1981, Vernon's Mm -hmm. 22. He heads to the Branch Davidian compound on Mount Carmel. Mm Mm-hmm. Lois Roden is 61. 
And Vernon is picking up what she is laying down. Because <laughs> he's all into that divine feminine. Look at him go. Because he's all about that feminine Holy Spirit. So so they start traveling together to recruit more followers because evangelical. And let's be very clear about this boning. Oh, they're totally fucking. Okay. A hundred percent. They. I mean, I don't want to be crass, but I feel like it's important to be really clear about these things. They fuck it. It was in my outline. I was about to say they definitely fuck it. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) so Vernon believes something, something holy light, Mm -hmm. and that he would father a child with Lois, who would be the chosen one. The chosen one, as in the person to rule. Over. I'm not sure what the chosen one even means. There's so many the chosen ones. So. But it's the chosen one. It's the one chosen by God. I don't know for what, what purpose. He's okay. To do, I just I thought I was the chosen one. I thought I was learning also, something. Like, and... This whole concept actually changes throughout time. Right. Like the chosen one becomes like. I, I guess I just assumed if they're Davidians and their whole thing is that like there has to be a ruler, a descendant of David. Ruling over I Palestine mean, for the end the time. Maybe that's the idea is that this kid is supposed to be, like, the ruler. Yeah. But that definitely changes in the near future. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I won't get, I won't get hung up on the... Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't get caught up because it'll all change. <laughs> but um, another possibility is a, it's an and or. Okay. Vernon believes this. And or. Uh, Lois's son, George Roden, starts spreading a rumor that Vernon got his mom pregnant, the 61-year-old woman. Okay. So we don't know, we don't know if Vernon believes this or if it was just a rumor that was started by his, her son. Or if it was both. Or if it was both. Okay. Yeah. I, I kind of think it was both. Okay. I mean, based That's- on what I've learned about this fellow so far, I would believe that he'd be trying to have a baby with the 61-year-old woman. Yeah. Well, because also, also you know Bible... no sex education, so of course that can yeah, happen. That's true. <laughs> well, well, and also the the Bible has precedent for miracle babies born to old people. Yeah, because it's the Bible. They like doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone in the compound seems fine with the relationship, except for George Roden. So and, George is who is George? N- Lois's son. Okay, right. Yeah, sorry, I should make that very clear. I'll actually explain that now. So George was notoriously emotionally unstable, mm-hmm. but he assumed that leadership would be passed down to him because, you know, because his um, mom got it when his dad died. So of course yeah, he would get and it. So yeah, so it makes sense that he would get it. And right now, Vernon is stepping on his toes. Mm. This will manifest. Okay. <laughs> at a later date. <laughs> And it will be a, a, a hefty good time. So in 1983, this is like two years later, mm-hmm. Lois allows Vernon to start preaching. Mm-hmm. And this is around when Vernon starts kind of turning against her. Oh, and really? the feminine Holy Spirit, which is a big bummer. Because honestly, if he had kept with the feminine Holy Spirit thing, I would have been real on his board. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more empathy for that. Yeah. yeah. Be feminist more. God damn it, Christians. I will fight yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> although, I, I mean, this, I do feel like, unfortunately, the whole feminine Holy Spirit thing, I could see that being really, really easily co-opted in a Christian context by a man who just wanted it to be okay to get laid. 
I mean, because there's he already does that anyway without the feminine. Right, I know, it, so but like... to me, I from the very beginning, I never really thought that it was a genuine thing. Because to me, I instantly heard that, and I was like, oh, that's a really good way for a male Christian to decide to suddenly be okay with pussy right. and justify, you know. Yeah, I guess it's a little bit like, um, oh, uh, the the men that specifically go and take a gender yeah. and sexuality class just to, like, fuck the hippie chicks in the class. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. And maybe not so, you know, so directly uh, intentionally mm-hmm. manipulative, but definitely a very... Because, again, you're talking about him finding a way to ease his cognitive dissonance, right? That's a really... Uh, especially since... He's like, oh, there's power in the female body. Right. If the womb is a temple or whatever. There's a reason I'm drawn to that and it's not just sin. Right. It's a really convenient way. Which sucks because that just ends up belittling the whole thing in the process, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, like, isn't that the nature of it? Right. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. I mean... Like, of course some fucked up Christian boy would get into the feminine Holy Spirit so that he could get laid and not feel guilty about it. Yeah. And then fuck up the whole thing. Yeah. Which definitely happens here. Which is big bummer. But, you know, it happens. Okay, so, so then what happens? Yeah, he 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 turns against the Holy Spirit and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. No, not the Holy Spirit. The feminine Holy Spirit. The right. Holy Spirit's fine. The feminine one is bad. Because lady stuff is bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. He even burns down the church's publishing office. Jesus. So that, so that Rodin's teachings can't be spread anymore. Wow. And he full on, like, later admitted to it because God told him to do to do it. Right, of course. Yeah, everything's God told him. Right. God tells Every him to do self-serving thing he things. Does is a thing that God said he wanted right. him to do. God wanted him to bone the preacher's daughter. God wanted him to burn down the book publisher. Yeah. See see that like whole cognitive dissonance thing being like his fucking I'm not a bad person. God wanted me to do it. God wanted me to do it. Yeah. It's God's will. God works in mysterious ways, okay? All right, sure. Which is the answer to any time we don't have an answer, because we don't like thinking. <laughs> okay, so... I mean, that is one of the conveniences of a cult. Is you don't you have to think. You are discouraged from thinking, but you don't have to think. It's you nice. Know? It's nice. It's a pro and con, all in one. Mm-hmm. So, in 1984, he splits from Lois. Mm-hmm. And he's 24 years old. And he decides to take his first child bride. Oh, no. So he announces that God told him to marry 14-year-old Rachel Jones. And her parents are stoked because their their daughter was chosen by God. And they believe this. So they give consent for Vernon to marry Rachel, making this marriage legal in Texas. Mm. Because... At least at the time, 14 was the age of consent for sex and marriage with parental consent. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't like that. That's nice. It's not nice. So, so yeah. He he simultaneously, like, breaks it off with Lois to marry a 14-year-old girl. That's such a crazy shift. It's super crazy. And, And Lois is like, bro, what the fuck? And so George actually kicks Vernon out. Mm-hmm. And Vernon leaves, taking most of the followers with him. Oh, that's upsetting. Yeah. Because they're into Vernon's stees. 
His pot sex god stees. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> And they go to Palestine, Texas. Mm -hmm. So most folks are actually living in plywood boxes or on buses. That's horrible. It's really, really fucking rough in it. But, you know. God wants them to. Yeah. Well, and also, this isn't just Vernon. This is the whole, like, from the Millerites to the Seventh-day Adventists to the Branch Davidians. Mm -hmm. They believe that the end is real fucking close it's coming and so if you think that following this guy will lead to eternal life and glory and happiness and not following him will lead to eternal damnation yeah and you mix that with something something sunk cost yeah you'll go and you'll live in those plywood boxes and on a bus yeah and in the middle of the forest with no running water or electricity or any nice modern amenities. Or even, like, old-timey amenities. <laughs> or even old-timey amenities. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is where we get into a little bit more of the weird mm-hmm. religiously. It's, it's 1985. Vernon goes to Israel. Okay. He actually, he makes trips all over the world throughout this. Mm-hmm. To recruit because evangelical, but he specifically goes to Israel because that's like an important right biblical place. Yeah, that's the and holy land for like every major religion for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, at least the holy trilogy. Yeah. So uh, Vernon's in Israel and he has a vision, mm-hmm. and he is told that he is the Lamb, he is a prophet, and he is the one that is destined to open the seven seals. Okay. So he is a Messiah. Mm-hmm. He is the sinful Messiah, which is gross, but okay. But he's not Jesus. So the so, sinful Messiah? Like, what does that even mean? So I heard one of his wives explain it. Basically, the the implication is that God sent down the sinless Messiah, Jesus, mm-hmm. for the first round. But then he sent down the sinful Messiah because Jesus couldn't understand sin because he never did sin. And so he sent down the sinful Messiah who could understand sin. Why did why why does a Messiah need to understand sin? Um, because God said so. Fuck off. Okay. 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 <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah. But basically, he's saying that he is Christ-like, mm-hmm. but he is not Jesus. Right, because he's not without so sin. So he's asking a lot, but he's not asking too much. Okay. You know? He's not saying, I am God. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I'm like God. I'm God-like. I'm God-like. Which makes him, you know, simultaneously bolstered without, you know, busting it. Right. What would your purpose be as the sinful messiah? Like is that your is your job then to keep like sinning moderately? Yes. Really? Basically. That's his steez. I mean, basically from this point on, that whole cognitive dissonance. So his I his job is so. in his mind at this point, his job is to sin moderately because he is the messiah that exists to be godlike and understand sin. Basically, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just one of those things. Look, everything in religion is weird. This is just also weird. Yeah, I think this is just, I mean, I think I have an equally uh, 
minimal understanding of religion in general, in particular Christianity. But I think I also understand enough that that in particular kind of throws me for a loop. The idea that there is like a moderate amount of sin or that like you can be godlike, but, you know, be sticking your wick in 14 year olds. I don't know. Yeah. Well, honestly, like, I feel like it's not even moderate. I feel like it's a little bit excessive. (laughs) You know. Maybe that's just me having a problem with sticking your wick in 14-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> but let's take a brief pause for weird religious shit. Okay. This is the fun stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Revelation. I'm just proud of having done research on the, on the Bibble. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, it's the final book of the New Testament, mm-hmm. which means that it is the final book, the final chapter of Christianity. Okay. I, I heard, uh, I, I actually, you know, not only had I read Revelations, but in this research, I actually found a podcast that went through and analyzed it chapter by chapter. Uh-huh. Because I am a dedicated big nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he basically described it as skipping to the end to find out who wins. Okay. Which was kind of cute. But this is, it's final book. It's written by St. John. Mm-hmm who was one of Jesus's apostles Mm -hmm. and by this time has been exiled to Patmos, a small Greek Island. Cause something, something Christian persecution. Okay. Yes. And homie starts mad tripping. Okay. Or at least that's what I think, but he's called to write his revelation. Mm -hmm. So in revelation, John watches as the end times come. Okay. And, you know, he's brought up to heaven, blah, 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 angels, God, all that jazz. And there's there's 24 elders sitting on pillars, and there's this scroll mm-hmm. with seven seals that no one can open because no one's worthy. And John's super upset because that means that, you know, you can't, you know, reach what's inside. Mm-hmm. And then he sees a lamb and it's generally interpreted as Jesus Mm -hmm. because lamb. Yeah. Lamb of God. And also other stuff like uh, I think it it references that he was like reborn, Mm -hmm. died and was reborn. And so like it's very like this is Jesus, but he sees a lamb and I guess technically it doesn't say it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this lamb can open the seals. And with each seal comes a new horror. Okay. So one through four are the four horsemen. Okay. So famine, war, pestilence, death. Mm -hmm. Five unleashes the cries of martyrs, you know, killed in God's name. Mm -hmm. And they're like, when will this suffering end? And God's like, chill. You have to wait for the rest of the martyrs to be martyred. And they put on white robes, which I think is what the whole white robes Millerite yeah. white robe thing. Okay. And again, with the whole waiting for the rest of the martyrs to be martyred thing, I think that's one of those implications that the rapture doesn't just come before all the bad stuff happens. Right. That you have to be willing to die a horrible death for your religion in order mm-hmm. to be martyred. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's really the implication. I think a lot of Christians actually do believe that. Some Christians are like, no, we'll just get raptured because we're down with Jesus. But I think a lot of Christians are like, nah, it's going to be fucking awful. And then we'll be saved. Yeah. <laughs> From the rest of the fucking awful. Right. All right. So, so the sixth seal is metal as fuck. There's this huge earthquake. 
there's a blood moon and a black sun and the cosmos just starts like cracking and shifting. Damn. Time space is fucking up. And then seven brings angels that blow seven trumpets Mm -hmm. and each trumpet brings a big nasty. So like seas of blood, poisoned air, poisoned water. Mm -hmm. And it ultimately kills one third of all living things. So seven and 12 are like the fucking numbers of revelation. Okay. I mean, see also like 24 elders Mm -hmm. and you know, the, the people that will be saved are like 12,000 from the 12,000 tribe, which ultimately becomes 144,000. And that's a big, right. The 12 tribes of Israel or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's seven, 12 everywhere. And after this, you know, after the seven seals, uh, there's still seven bowls full of God's wrath. And then everything is remade and good Christians will go to the fancy new heaven earth mm-hmm. thing. And the unrepentant will suffer in a burning lake of sulfur for eternity, mm. which is where I am definitely going after all of the things that I've said while doing this research. Yes, <laughs> undoubtedly. And TBH, totally bur- worth it for that Jesus masturbating. <laughs> So anyway, no. that's that's Revelation. It's really fucking metal. I mean, look, there's a lot of points in the in the Bible where God does some like pretty harsh shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, flooding the entire earth and killing there's something everyone from the Bible. but Noah and his family. There's lots of baby anyway, death. There's yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like really nasty stuff in the Bible where God goes, you know, kind of hardcore, mm-hmm. and you're like, that's a loving God, <laughs> merciful. Like he's going kind of hard in the paint okay. right now. That's that's pretty hardcore for a loving and merciful God. <laughs> but that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's revelation. One of one of the more hardcore loving merciful God yeah. scenes. So <sighs> back to our compound mm-hmm. or back to our branch Davidians. David decides that he's the lamb that's going to open the seven seals. Wait, so now he's David? Sorry, fuck, Vernon. Shit. You said it so wasn't going to slip in there. You said it. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He hasn't changed his name yet. He's still Vernon. Vernon. It's 1985. He decides that he's the lamb. Vernon. Vernon. Uh, decides that he's the lamb that's going to open the seven seals. Right. He's Christ-like. Right. <laughs> so, 1986, you get up on Vernon my starts... I'm sorry. I was trying to think of Christ like pickup lines. <laughs> oh my god. I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> We're in a fight. Uh, that was pretty good. Wanna get up on my pulpit? Like <laughs> I like it. I like my it. My pulpit. Alright. I'm gonna fight you. Though. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's yes, alright. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's nineteen eighty six. Vernon starts deciding to collect more baby wives. Oh no. And he marries, not legally from this point forward, obviously, 14-year-old Karen Doyle, mm-hmm. 12-year-old Michelle Jones, oh, no. who is his first wife's younger sister. Hmm. Yay. Also, 1986, back at Mount Carmel, Lois dies. Okay. And... Vernon continues to recruit followers with uh, both videos and by, like, traveling. Mm-hmm. He goes he goes back and forth between Texas and California. Mm-hmm. 
And he also goes to Canada, England, Australia, and Israel. Mm -hmm. And he connects to younger people with his music. Mm -hmm. And quite a few people follow him back to Texas. That's impre- I was just thinking, that's super impressive that he's able to travel that far and to get people hooked enough on his on his spiel to travel internationally. Yeah. Well, I think I think this is one of those things where you where you get with cults of like people giving their money to the religion. Mm-hmm. And and it makes sense and doesn't make sense at the same time. You literally think that the end of the world is coming and you are saving people's souls mm-hmm. by evangelizing. Yeah. But also, what the fuck? Yeah. You know? How, well, uh, yeah. How do you actually make that real world leap? Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense in like, oh, so you believe that. But it's also like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in 1987, he marries three more. Now, these guys are a little older, thank God. So he marries 17-year-old Robin Buns, Mm -hmm. who I've actually seen in documentaries. And 16-year-old Nicole Gent. Mm -hmm. And 20-year-old Dana Okimoto, who I've also seen in documentaries. And so at this point, his first wives would probably be nearing the same age as his wives he took on his next three. Or was it not that spread out? Yeah, I guess so. Except for he's got a 12-year-old now. Yeah. You know, he took his 12-year-old in 1986. Okay. And it's 1987, so she's only 13 still. But Rachel. Rachel's a little older. Yeah. But only a little. She's like 16 now. He's still dipping it in not okay terms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely not trying to justify. I'm just trying to understand. Part of my brain is like, oh, well, maybe he's marrying older young women now because, you know... All of his original oh, wives are older. All, yeah, to keep it around. Yeah, nah. He he keeps he keeps dipping it young. That that happens. Mm, gross. It just keeps going. Gross. It's not great. But some of his followers do leave over the underage girl thing. Mm, good. Good for them. It's just that most stay. Most don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you go back to the the abusive relationship mm-hmm. thing, where. You know, every it, it, he doesn't just say, "Hey, I'm gonna fuck young girls, join my cult." Yeah. He he says, "Hey, welcome to this church. It's great. We've got everything you need. Blah blah blah. Are you comfortable? Great. I love that you're comfortable. Also, I'm having sex with children. By the way, we've got everything you need." <laughs> yeah. Oh God. All right. You know. Mm-hmm. And so, still 1987. Back on Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. You know, we're swipping, swipping back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Roden is not doing great okay. since his mom died. You know, he's the leader uh-huh. now. And the followers are dwindling. Basically, anybody that stayed for Lois mm-hmm. and didn't go with Vernon. Is now wanting to leave. Doesn't have Lois. Yeah. And George was not exactly a born leader. Mm-hmm. Dude's a bit cray. <laughs> this is my favorite. He challenges Vernon to a religious prophet duel. How is that? How does that work? Is that like he, a wizard duel? I mean, a little. So George digs up Anna Hughes, who was an 84-year-old woman who has been dead for 20 years. Uh, f- and he places her in the com- in the compound's chapel and challenges Vernon that if he is the prophet then he should be able to bring her back to life. 
That's disgusting. <laughs> well, Vernon's like, fuck that shit, and he tells the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just think is amazing. Okay. <sighs> but also, it's Texas, so private property is... Private property. Private property. And they refuse to investigate without proof. So Vernon decides that he wants to get proof. Proof that he so, dug up a corpse, because that's illegal. Yeah, okay. proof of, like, you know, uh, desecrating a corpse. So it's November 3rd, 1987. Vernon and a few of his followers sneak onto the Mount Carmel compound with a camera and a metric fuck ton of guns. And they get into a gun battle. Oh, dear. And George is injured and he flees. And Vernon and his followers are brought up on attempted murder charges. Oops. Luckily, all of the followers are acquitted and Vernon ends up getting a mistrial. Mm -hmm. But still, fun story. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then a few months later, George is arrested for an unrelated attempted murder charge. Great. George is struggling. George is not great. George is not doing well. He continues to not do well. And with him arrested, the finances at Mount Carmel fall the fuck apart. Yes. And we're going to skip real quick and then run okay. back. But I, you know, just want to finish up George's story. In 1985, or sorry. So this is 1987 that George, or maybe, it's a few months later. So it's 1987, 1988 mm-hmm. time. George gets arrested mm-hmm. and the finances fall apart. In 1989, George decides that his roommate was sent by Vernon, and he shoots and kills him. Damn. And he's found not guilty by reason of insanity, but that doesn't mean you're off the hook. That means that you spend even more time in a slightly nicer facility. Yeah. So he actually spends the rest of his life in a mental hospital. Oh, well. Wah, wah. Yeah, wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> So it's 1988 now. Vernon gets together the money to pay the back taxes on the land mm-hmm. and officially reclaims Mount Carmel for his sect of the Branch Davidians. Okay. Now, around this time, he officially changes his name to David Koresh. Okay. So we can start calling him David Koresh. Okay. Now, David is taken from the King David, mm-hmm. which is the Branch Davidians. Yeah. You know. So he names himself after his church and King David. And Koresh is the Hebrew name for anointed one. Okay. Which is a reference to King Cyrus, who was a Persian king who destroyed Babylon, I guess. So King King is basically what David Koresh decides to name himself. All right. So they're back on Mount Carmel. Oh, boy. So we get into some more real crazy. Okay. It's 1989. And we get the new light revelation. Mm-hmm. So it's August 5th, 1989. Koresh is in the Buns home in Pomona. Okay. So I mentioned Robin Buns earlier, one of his wives. Mm-hmm. Her family owned a property in Pomona, California. Okay. And that was kind of used as a place that was also Branch Davidian. Okay land yeah yeah, yeah. the way you do when you join a cult and everything becomes theirs so he literally he's in front of his followers and he acts as if he's receiving a message from Mm -hmm. god and then he tells his followers 
that all of their existing marriages are annulled. And that all of the women of the group are now subject to being his. So I take all your wives now. Thank you. I have all your wives now. He says he's entitled to at least 140 wives because he has to have a lot of tr- a lot of kids. At least 24 because he was supposed to have the 24 el- elders cited in Revelations. So he was supposed to father the 24 elders. Yep. Okay. To rule the kingdom of Israel during the end time. Okay. So he's the So lamb. you need at least 140 wives to have 24 kids. Uh, obviously. Okay. That's really <laughs> bad math if you don't believe in birth control. <laughs> like, that could be achieved easily. That could be achieved easily with, like, four wives. <laughs> if you're Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pissing off everybody today. <laughs> <laughs> Koresh actually Koresh chastises anyone who doesn't want to go along with the new doctrine mm-hmm. and that actually I think was a big part of part of the Buns mm-hmm. family leaving the church Robin's brother and his wife mm-hmm. left the church over not just the new light doc revelation but like the fact that Koresh was like hey I want to fuck your wife yeah I think her name was Debbie Buns. Mm -hmm. She told him no. Mm -hmm. She said, if you take me, it will be by force. Damn. Yeah. And, and I'm not down. And she leaves. Good for her. After that. Good for you, Debbie. And I think her husband also leaves with her, you know, Robin's uh, brother. So that's, that's nice. But it was really hard for her because she was, like, raised Seventh-day Adventist. She was raised Branch Davidian. She was raised in the compound, like, with Lois. Yeah. And so, like, she left her everything. Oh, that's intense. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's another thing is, like, I understand why people don't leave. Yeah. Especially if they're raised in it. You know, you're like, this is my life now. Mm-hmm. How can I tear myself away from this when it's who I've become? Yeah. Big yuck. He also, he, you know, with the New Light Doctrine, because he has annulled all of the marriages, he separates the men and women. The men were to live on the first floor and the women and children were li- to live on the second floor. David also lived on the second floor. Mm-hmm. And they were only allowed to, like, be together during Bible study, which was <laughs> always held by David. So people who were married and living as husband and wife were now living totally separately and only allowed to see each other at Bible studies he was running. Yeah. Which. Gross. Yeah. So, you know, Koresh's like argument was like, look, I'm saving you from the sin of sex by taking the burden on myself. Which is oh, like, Oh, because he's, he's the sinful Messiah. So yep, exactly. just sin with me. It's fine. Just sin with me, it's fine. But also, it further isolated his followers. Yeah. Because isolation is a big part of abuse in in a in a, in a one-on-one relationship and in a cult. Mm-hmm. But, 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 the end was coming. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I guess I don't get to live with my spouse, but... 
shortly the apocalypse comes and we'll be together forever in eternal heaven. Yeah. You know? So you mix, like, all of this weird, awful, abusive relationship shit with religious fervor. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just becomes an extra sticky mess of fuck. Mm. So this is this is the big, big, big yuck. Girls as young as 11 were given a plastic Star of David to indicate that they had the light and were ready to fuck David Koresh. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. So this kind of this kind of gets into the Kiri Jewel story, mm-hmm. which is a sort of infamous story. So Kiri's mother Sherry was divorced when they moved to the Mount Carmel compound, mm-hmm. and Kiri and her mother had been super close, but then Sherry became another wife of David, mm-hmm. and their relationship was nearly entirely lost. Okay, because her new you know, focus in life was pleasing David. Yeah. And um, David was a big fan of Kiri mm-hmm. and was grooming her. Mm. Kiri tells her father, who's also David. Wait, what? Her father is named David. Okay. David Jewell. But she tells her father that David Koresh had assaulted her at the age of 10. Mm. So this gets involved in like a big custody battle where her father's fighting for his daughter out of this fucking cult Mm -hmm. and there's like some disagreement on how legitimate the claims were it wasn't like it obviously wasn't legitimized enough that police were able to arrest david koresh Mm -hmm. but I mean, I'm not going to disbelieve the victim. No. Especially when he's proven that he is willing to fuck children. Right. That's, yeah. You know? Like, I'm happily going to believe a young cult victim. Yeah. Over a cult leader who has proven he's done shit like this in the past. Yeah. Then Robin Buns, who I've mentioned before. Wife number four. Mm -hmm. And she's (laughs) still around. She's still with him. She's she's around at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. She she started the relationship not being a huge fan of sharing Koresh with other women. Mm-hmm. But her final straw is when Koresh starts sleeping with her mom. Oh, gross. Yep. So she leaves and Koresh takes their son and she has to fight for custody through the courts. Mm. But she wins. Good. So that's super good news. And her mother does eventually leave, like, as well, but her father stayed. Damn. Which is fucking wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird to me. you lose everyone. You lose your son, your daughter, your wife, and you stay with the dude who basically took them from you. Yeah. That's crazy. But, yeah. Again, I think that, I think that cult members are victims. Yeah. Of the cult, not... Not complicit, necessarily. Yeah. Like, there's definitely times when cult members do some fucked up shit. Yeah. But it's always because of the cult. Yeah. Koresh also did other, like, classic cult leader stuff. He had AC in his room. He could drink alcohol. He could eat meat and all of these things that, like, everyone else was not allowed to have access to. Because he's doing the same. Because God told him. Yeah. Yeah. 
I do the sin. You got you guys don't do the sin. I do the I sin. I get to sin. You don't get to sin. No, no, not so, get to. Have to. Have to. Oh, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not that I get to. I have to sin for you. I am taking this burden so that you don't sin. Right. I am doing this for you. Yes, that's exactly it. Dipping my dipstick in your daughter. Oh. For you. For you. For you. <laughs> Ugh. So, let's get to the end of times. Yes. So, again, this whole thing founded on Doomsday. Mm-hmm. This is not a Koresh-specific thing. He definitely accelerates it. Mm-hmm. But... <sighs> Remember remember how in, in Ruby Ridge I was saying that, like, the government was looking for... Yeah, they kind of manifested what they were afraid of mm-hmm. or what they were and, looking for. And Randy Weaver and the Weavers were looking for Doomsday. Yeah. And they both got what they were looking for. Yeah. This is another one of those stories where, well, actually, it was the government and the cult getting what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. The government's looking for a mass suicide cult. And this cult is looking for a fiery apocalyptic doom ending. Yeah. And they get what they ask for. Ugh. So by 1990, Koresh starts showing violent war war films to his followers to kind of pre-training. Mm-hmm. You know? It's it's one of those desensitization things. Right. Like, if you're prepared for this, then it won't mm-hmm. be so terrible. Yeah. And and that was a, a thing that I heard from a lot of the ex-cult members who talked about it. Was that, like, especially the kids. Because the kids mm-hmm. didn't understand what was going on. They just understood that they were living in constant fear. And that, like, they knew how to shoot a gun. They knew to shoot themselves like, in the back of the mouth instead of in the temple if they had to commit suicide. Wow. Like, crazy shit like that. Because that's what it's like to believe that the end of times are always, like, About to happen. on the verge. It's just it's just crazy because, like, that's... You probably would never experience peace. Yeah. It's and I, I don't I don't think they did. I don't think they did at all. I think it was that constant fear and excitement that the Millerites had in eighteen forty, mm-hmm. you know? So Koresh is looking for signs of the apocalypse everywhere, and he starts kinda getting into the idea of the New World Order, mm-hmm. which is the less anti Semitic version of Zog, yeah. but it generally has anti Semitic overtones. Yeah. It is it is a common regular world saying that isn't always anti-Semitic, but is almost always anti-Semitic. Right. But it's like most of the time. Yeah. So it's not like when somebody says Zog, you're like, oh, that dude's fucking a Nazi. And if somebody says New World Order, you're like, mm, that dude's probably racist. That dude's probably racist. Maybe a Nazi. Right? But... I don't think it was in this particular case. But again, you're looking at, like, weird religious zealotry. Yeah. So it's a little different. Koresh initially believed that they were meant to go and fight the end of times for Israel against the UN. Because the UN is always the New World Order, like, foundation. Okay. 
you know, whenever you hear people talking, like... Right. They're always anti-UN. Like, globalist conspiracies, they're always anti-UN. That changes in 1991 at the start of the Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Because basically, clearly, the U.S. is only fighting in the Middle East because they are a puppet of the U.N. Right. And so Koresh realizes that the U.N. is, or that the U.S. is actually the biblical Babylon. And yes. that the big showdown is going to be happening right here in Texas. Right. Of course. Obviously. Because God told him so. Right. (laughs) We are Babylon. We are Babylon. I mean, he's not the first one to believe that. Right. There are a lot of doomsday cults and religions who believe that the U.S. is Babylon. Yeah. Because we are mighty sinful. Mighty sinful. Mighty sinful. So the compound starts stockpiling food, weapons, and other, like, prep stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? And... And it's kind of funny seeing, like, these guys versus, like, the racist preppers. Because there's a lot of, like, similarities and differences. hmm But Koresh's prophecies are also start getting, like, more extreme. And around this point, he's, like, literally yelling hellfire and brimstone at his followers during Bible study. Oh, dear. Like, like I've heard some recordings of the way he's, you know, stu- Bible studying style. at them. Oh, my God. Like, it, it went from, like, very assertive, even a little aggressive, mm-hmm. to, like, yelling, you're going to hell. Dang. You know? So it, it gets it gets intense. Yeah. You know? You already believe the end is coming, and fucking Messiah homie who's leading your cult. Is telling you you're going to hell. Yelling Bible study at you. Yeah. It gets real intense. He also has a group of 20... Loyal male followers called the Mighty Men. The Mighty Men. Which is a biblical reference to the uh, group of men that protected King David. Okay. And their purpose was to protect David Mm -hmm. and the compound during battle. Okay. They also were in charge of training other followers how to shoot a gun. Okay. So, you know, they had that kind of right-hand man thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And the two highest ranking were Douglas Wayne Martin, who went by Wayne, mm-hmm. and S- Steve Schneider. So Wayne Martin is kind of a nuts case. He was a Harvard-trained lawyer who had previously been a professor mm-hmm. and during this time practiced law in town. Whoa. So he... He lives at this almost no amenities compound and still practices law in Waco. That's crazy to me. And religiously sends money back to the compound. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was actually like a very good dude. So he had like five kids with his wife and was a very attentive father. And I think... All but one of them lived on the compound. Mm -hmm. And during the siege that, you know, we're eventually going to get to, he actually sent money back to his clients because he could no longer represent them. Wow. Like, very, not just like a good dude, but like a very ethical lawyer. Yeah, very ethical. Okay. Which is really cool. So, 
I just feel bad about that, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But again, like, well, not again. I don't think I've mentioned this before. But the thing about a cult, there's no universal. It's not poor people. It's not educated people. It's not religious people. Anybody can be a cult member. The only universal is that there's some some need yeah. that they have, some some vulnerability that they have that that cult happens to tap into. Mm-hmm. Because everybody from, you know, the lowest of society to the highest of society have been indoctrinated into a cult. Yeah. And then um, Steve Schneider, uh, he's he's also a bit of a crazy uh, case. His wife, Judy, was one of the first women taken by David Koresh after the New Light Doctrine. Uh. And he still remained loyal as fuck. That's creepy. He was usually the guy behind the camera in videos we see of David Koresh and his followers mm-hmm. during the siege. And there's even a video of him interviewing his wife, Judy Schneider Koresh, for... It's just wild. It's just wild. That is super wild. So that's, you know, a couple of the people in the cult. Then, so they're stockpiling weapons, but they also start a gun shop. Mm -hmm. I think called Magbag. And they buy and sell guns at gun shows. Mm -hmm. Which means, A, a huge amount of their arsenal was inventory. Okay. And B, their arsenal was completely legally and legitimately acquired. Okay, so nothing about it was illegal. Yeah. That said, there's some possibilities that they were modifying weapons. Right, which is not legal. Which is not legal. And it's also kind of interesting because that means that they were running with the gun show crowd. Mm -hmm. Which has a huge crossover with the militia movement. Of course it does. And that's not the way that these stories tie in together. But it's kind of a... It's kind of a big way that these stories tie in together. You know? You've got the racist, separatist, anti-government sentiment. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you've got the religious anti-government. Separatist sentiment. Separatist yeah. sentiment. And they're they're definitely different, but they're alike enough that they have very similar consequences. Right. So it's 1992 and a UPS driver has a package he's delivering to Mount Carmel. That's damaged and it falls open and inside it he sees uh, these grenade casings. Uh Uh-oh. So he reports that to authorities. Now, I think that they're technically just grenade casings. They they couldn't be used. Right. But you don't order grenade casings. Unless you intend to to fill them. Grenade casings. Right, you you order them to fill them. Yeah. And so the police had already heard child abuse allegations. But, you know, nothing was substantiated in something, something private property in Texas. Mm -hmm. But that kind of further tips off. Basically, they now send this to the ATF. Right. Also in 1992, 
the police visit the compound to investigate child abuse allegations mm-hmm. after the Curie Jewel case. And they don't specifically find anything, but it adds to the case. Yeah. And also, at the same time, David's further convinced that he's destined to become a martyr. Right. It's building. He's like, oh, they're going to kill me for my religious beliefs. So they're doing that thing where they build on themselves. Right. That said, the government was totally right to be like, hey, stop fucking children and making machine guns. Yeah. You don't get to do those things. (laughs) You don't get to do those things. I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. Freedom of religion. You're in a country of laws. Yeah. Those things are off the table. Yeah. Go live on a boat if you really want to. Well, no, don't fuck children. Go away. (laughs) <laughs> there's no option for that <laughs> okay so that's 1992 january 1993 the atf sends ad- undercover agents to live next door mm-hmm. and koresh sees this as an opportunity to convert new members oh, yay! and welcomes them to bible study and it's kind of funny because like koresh kind of knew that they were undercover agents mm-hmm. but he was like cool i'll convert them yeah and now the feds get like a real close up on the arsenal pause for group makeup spring 1993 the branch divinians probably around this point have started calling them the students of the seven sills Mm -hmm. at this point the compound has 130 students living on site about it is multiracial, multiethnic, multinational. At least 45 members were black. Mm-hmm. Uh, individuals came from the US, Canada, Australia, the UK. Many were Jamaican in origin. Mm-hmm. So they were British Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Um, individuals also came from a wide berth of backgrounds from socialites from Hong Kong to Harvard educated lawyers to musicians to random everyday Seventh-day Adventists Mm -hmm. folks with no college education. So just like, it kind of goes back to like- Right, takes all all kinds. Back to to ATF. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to pause for that real quick. The ATF did have probable cause for a search. Okay. But they lied on their warrant. Why? They wanted more tactical training. They lied and said that the compound had a meth lab. So February 25th, they're awarded a no-knock warrant to arrest David Koresh and to search the compound for illegal weapons, as well as things to make illegal weapons and bombs and grenades Mm -hmm. and all that jazz. Again, I want a a context. We have a potentially extremely dangerous cult. Mm -hmm. And America really, really fucked up. With Jonestown. the People's Temple. Okay. We also have Ruby Ridge, which was a year prior. Okay. So really fresh. Like, not even a year prior. So simultaneously, the ATF and the FBI, which will come involved Mm -hmm. as it does, are kind of licking their wounds from that. Okay. But also, they kind of want to show that they're not a complete fuck-up. Right. They want to get something right. mm Mm-hmm. So they kind of want to make this, like... I mean, basically, they thought that this was going to be, like, a super easy get in, get this dude, get out. And then they can 
have like a 20 minute video that's their hey we did a good job video yeah so before the raid over a hundred people show up to this tiny town of waco to prepare for the raid Mm -hmm. like i i think it's like 75 atf agents oh wow plus help and this tips off the media which also tips off the branch davidians oh no and Koresh was technically expecting this. Yeah. So he's not particularly surprised. Mm-hmm. But it does mean a no-knock warrant is specifically for the purpose of surprise. Yeah. The idea is that you don't have to knock. Right, you just go in. So the ATF knew that the surprise warrant had been... Blown. Their cover had been blown. But they opted to go forward with the raid anyway. Which is probably big fuck up number one. That that doesn't seem smart to me. Yeah. And of course, there's bad communication. Some agents knew that the Branch Davidians would be heavily armed. Some didn't. Yada yada. So I took a screenshot from one of the documentaries I I saw Mm -hmm. that's... Okay. Yeah. So basically, they had one group that was going to go to the second floor where David was. Mm -hmm. To clear out the arsenal and David, specifically. They had another group that was going to go to the second floor where the women and children were Mm -hmm. to clear out the women and children. Another group for the bottom floor where the men would be. And then another group to come up around the rear. Okay. That was their plan. And also, I like this picture because it kind of shows what the compound looks like. Yeah. So, it's February 28th, 1993. There's about 100 people on the property Mm -hmm. at the time. The media shows up before the ATF does. Jesus Christ. Okay. Which means not only do the Branch Davidians know, the Branch Davidians fucking know. Yeah. And then the ATF shows up. And with a lot of these things, it is heavily disputed who shot first. Mm -hmm. Basically, I've heard both arguments. Mm -hmm. That there were scared young men in the compound... And that there were poorly trained ATF outside. And literally, it could have been a misfire or an accidental gun going off. On either side, really. On either side. Yeah. You know, that's that's not the point. But a gun battle breaks out. Mm. Uh, Byron Sage, he's the FBI negotiator who's like the big deal in this whole story. Uh, according to him, the average gun battle with law enforcement lasts seconds. Right. This gun battle lasts over two hours. Wow. The ATF runs out of bullets. Holy shit. So they pull back. And they negotiate a ceasefire. And the ATF comes back in for the express purpose of removing their dead agents. Mm -hmm. So during the gun battle, four ATF agents died. Robert Williams, Stephen Willis, Conway LeBlue, and Todd McKeehan. And six Branch Davidians also died. Okay. Including, and I kind of love this, but it also, like, hurts me. One woman, Jaden Wendell, who was a former police officer and participated in the gun battle with the other men. Right, I can see why you like that. Fucking boss. (laughs) But also super tragic. But also fucking boss. Oh, this this fucks me up. So during the gun battle, Wayne Martin, Mm -hmm. the lawyer... Calls 911 
to say that there are women and children on the property and they need to call the firefight off. They need to make it stop. Holy shit. Yeah. And like, I, I, I heard the recording of that and it's just, it's super haunting. Yeah. You know, calling the government to tell the government to stop shooting at you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's crazy. David Koresh also calls 911. And he quickly starts talking theology. Oh, good job, David. Yeah. (laughs) Because homeboy is nuts. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Totally disconnected from reality. David had been shot in the wrist and in the hip. Mm -hmm. And the hip bullet wound was actually pretty nasty. It it went through his hip and, like, shattered his hip Mm. and then went out. So, like, his hip is shattered, and also he loses a ton of blood. Okay. And his ability to sit upright. So that, that's, like, the start of this. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I mean, it's hard to say which way things would go because he's such a strange person. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, like, analyze things from a this-is-what-I-would-do perspective Mm -hmm. because it's not what I would do. But I highly doubt that that loss of blood and that, like, excruciating pain and fighting that and, like, healing from that helped him be a rational person. Oh, yeah, definitely not at all. Yeah. So law enforcement also didn't have emergency medical services on hand, which is a big whoops. Mm -hmm. And then because of the death of ATF agents, the feds get jurisdiction. So the FBI comes in. And there's pros and cons to that. I think that the FBI negotiators were actually really, really awesome. I think they did their best. I think they did a really good job, but they didn't do a good enough job. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, my God. I keep saying this is the big yuck, but, like, everything's the big yuck. That night, that same night after the ceasefire, Michael Schroeder was trying to return to the compound, Mm -hmm. and he shot. Oh. And his body was left out for four days before being removed. Mm. I don't like that either. It's pretty big yuck. So March 1st, it's day two of, this is a 51 day siege. Mm. 10 children and some adults were sent out of the compound. No one really wanted to leave, including the children, Mm -hmm. because doomsday cult. Yeah. So they thought that if they stayed in the compound and died in the compound, then this is the apocalypse and they're going to, you know, they're being martyred yeah. and they're going to live eternally in bliss and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And if they leave, they're going to live forever in hellfire and brimstone. Yeah. It's pretty intense. I can see why they want to stay. Yeah. Which really complicates hostage negotiations <laughs> because no one was being taken hostage against their will. Right. Really. Yeah. You know? Koresh insisted that they weren't planning suicide. Mm-hmm. And and everybody who left insisted that they weren't planning suicide. But there were some things that the kids said that implicated that maybe they might have been. Or at least they were prepared for that outcome. Yeah. I mean, see also the whole shoot yourself in the back of the mouth instead of the temple. Yeah. In case it comes to that. So I don't know that they were that they were hoping to commit suicide, but I think that they definitely had had made it a possibility. Yeah. And again, Jonestown. Yeah. March third, Koresh agrees to leave after a religious teaching tape was aired, 
and they play it on the local Christian radio station. And the tape was weird and confusing and babbling. Mm -hmm. And then he goes back on his word. Oh. Saying God told him it wasn't time to leave yet. To be honest, I think Koresh realized that because of the four dead ATF agents, there was no way for him to leave without dying or getting prison time. Yeah. Because you don't have four dead ATF agents. Yeah, you don't get to do that. Yeah. So March 4th is particularly frustrating for the FBI because, you know, it's the day after Koresh goes back on his word. And this is the first time tear gas is brought up as a possible solution. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, push it out because they don't, it's never been tested on children. They don't know the effects on children. Yeah. So they say, let's not have that be our, it's been less than a week solution. Yeah. Uh, March 5th, nine-year-old Heather Jones is set outside with a note from her mother pinned to her jacket that says, essentially, when all the children have left the compound, the adults will die. Dang. Which is like, you sure you're not a suicide cult? Yeah. And the FBI was concerned about the people inside, particularly the children, so they give Koresh a video recorder and ask him how everyone is doing. And the video shows a bunch of people saying they're happy and they don't want to leave. And, you know, it's families, it's individuals, it's adults, it's children. And it includes a bunch of Koresh's own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, his oldest, Cyrus, named kind of definitely of after himself, basically, yeah. is only seven years old. Okay. There's this point in the video that's kind of haunting, but I also kind of love, but it's also very fucked up. Where he says, and I'm, so, I'm I'm sorry some of your guys got shot, but I guess God will just have to short, sort that out. Dang. So, March 12th, Kathy Schroeder, who is Michael Schroeder's now widow, mm-hmm. leaves the compound. And she ends up serving three years for involvement in the deaths of the ATF agents. Oh, like that. Right? Uh, that same day, Janet Reno is sworn in as the AG for the new Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. And Janet Reno is regularly brought up as a bit of a villain in this story. Mm. It'll make sense. But it's also like, mm. so the FBI also starts like really fucking with the compound. Mm-hmm. They're using like literal torture interrogation tactics. They are shining bright lights into the windows uh, all night so that people couldn't sleep. They play loud music. They play the sounds of rabbits dying. Uh. Which is like some Guantanamo shit, you know? Yeah. FBI units are also regularly breaking orders. They're putting pressure on the compound by driving their tanks closer and closer. Sometimes they drive over the cars of the people who live in the compound. Just just to be assholes. Great. Sometimes they moon the compound or flip them off. Which is like, you're trying to convince these people... That you're not the bad guy and that they can come out because we're not Babylon and Armageddon isn't going to come from us. But you're acting like it. You're not looking great. Uh, the, the FBI also turns the power off and having the power turned back on becomes like an on and off bargaining chip. Okay. So March 19, Koresh says that he's ready to surrender and two adult men leave. Neither one of them is Koresh. Right. And several more adults leave over the next few days. At this point, 
there becomes this internal struggle mm-hmm. between negotiators and the tactical leaders. The negotiators are trying to take things slow and the tactical leaders want to be more aggressive. You know, you're you're balancing Ruby Ridge and Jonestown. Yeah. Where where it's like, just wait them out. Didn't versus, work. What if they're a fucking suicide cult? Right. So April 1st, Koresh says they'll come out after Passover. And Koresh again doesn't leave after Passover. April 9th is Easter. Again, another will come out, but they don't. April 14th, Koresh says he needs to write a manuscript of his interpretation of the seven seals, and then they can leave. And the FBI negotiators are like, okay, we've got a breakthrough. They, they're starting to like, okay, I think we got right. this. April 16th, Koresh says that he's finished, you know, his writing on the first seal. April 19th, FBI negotiators have no way to prove that Koresh has actually been writing. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't know that he's actively writing this manuscript. They don't know that he's not lying to them again. Mm-hmm. And basically, the Branch Davidians and the feds have mutually proven to both sides that they can't trust each other. Yeah. With that in mind, because they have no proof that David Koresh is actually going through with any of the things that they've negotiated... They decide they're going with the tear gas plan. Mm. And Janet Reno approves for it to be carried out the morning of April 19th. So the idea is that they're going to, they're going to punch a hole in the wall with the tanks, which looks not great. And they're going to use a nozzle to push tear gas Mm -hmm. in. And, you know, we've all seen the, the videos of like, um, boot camp. Yeah tear gassing where like everybody's crying snot so so that's the plan they're gonna they're gonna knock a hole nozzle it in and then the plan is that they're gonna knock a bigger hole in a different wall for people to escape okay so so tear gas in and kind of flood people out that way Mm -hmm. nine members leave through the hole only nine that it wow That's about 6 a.m. that they start. Around noon, several fires erupt at once inside the compound. Mm. And at the same time, they start hearing gunshots coming from inside the compound. Oh. Firefighters were not ready on hand. So they couldn't start firefighting properly until 1245. So there's conflicting stories I kind of believe the government on this one, but I see where the conspiracy theorists are coming from. So apparently something, something, the stuff that is used to push tear gas in mm-hmm. is slightly flammable, okay. but they had, they had bugged the compound and some members had been recorded essentially saying... So we're supposed to spread the fuel. Yeah. Okay. And there is a part in the Bible where a ring of fire protects a bunch of, you know, good religious Mm -hmm. folk. And so they don't know if this was an intentional suicide or if it was a defensive tactic. Yeah. But I kind of 
actually believe the government that the Branch Davidians started this fire. Mm -hmm. Like, I believe that the Branch Davidians that left, who said, no, we weren't planning suicide, weren't planning suicide. But I kind of think that they intentionally started that fire. So the building goes up. And inside the burnt down compound, they find 76 bodies of Branch Davidians. 22 children were babies to age 13. Two of those children were trauma-induced infant newborns. So basically, they were pregnant women who went into labor because of the fuck-uppery of the siege. That's horrible. 14 of the children, including the two newborns, were David Koresh's children. Wow. There were also seven teens from 14 to 19. Of the adults, there were 23 U.S. citizens, one Australian, one from New Zealand, 20 were British, mostly uh, the Jamaican British, Mm -hmm. one Canadian, one Israeli. 20 people had gunshot wounds, including five children. It's possible that some of those were mercy killings. Mm -hmm. It's possible that some of those were ATF gun battle wounds. Yeah. One three-year-old had been stabbed to death. That's terrifying. Again, it's better to be stabbed to death than die in a fire. That's true. That's just intense. It's super intense. David Koresh was found with his, you know, main man, Steve Schneider. They both had gunshot wounds in their head. Like they shot each other, probably. And the government found the Branch Davidians at fault for the fire for refusing to leave the compound. Which, I'll buy that the Branch Davidians started the fire, but I'm not sure if I'm willing to buy for refusing to leave the compound. Yeah. Because, like, those women and children did nothing wrong. Yeah. You can't arrest an infant for their parents. Yeah. You guys, come on. So there's a memorial at the Mount Carmel grounds containing the names of all those who died during the siege, except for David Koresh. Uh There were 11 Branch Davidians who had been in the compound and left who were charged with conspiracy to commit murder, murder, and use of a firearm during the commission of a crime, as well as like various other gun charges. Mm -hmm. All pled not guilty. All were acquitted of murder and conspiracy, but seven were found guilty of voluntary manslaughter. Mm. So there is still some Branch Davidians that live on Mount Carmel. Mm. And I can't tell if they think David Koresh is an evil guy or a good guy. Because they've basically said something something led by Satan but also that David Koresh will be reborn to judge us, question mark? So maybe that just connects to that whole the sinful messiah thing. Maybe, yeah. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. And then remember Waco Mm -hmm. became like a right-wing thing. Really? I guess because they were, could be connected to a kind of similar Ruby Ridge situation where they... Mm-hmm. We're just trying to practice our religious freedom. Yeah. Yeah. That's our cult. Well, I don't like that either. 
I mean, I preferred it to Nazis. I preferred it to Nazis. I'm not sure if I prefer it to Ruby Ridge, but really, it's... but... Yeah, it's still pretty bad. They they should have withdrawn. There were so many kids. Yeah, there were too many kids. There were too many kids. Yeah. It was just, it was way too great a risk. Yep. And, you know, it's... The, the government is made up of humans who are capable of human mistakes. But when the government makes mistakes, the consequences are really yeah. dire. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's why we hold them to a higher right. standard. Yeah. <sighs> I guess, I guess we're good. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> what the moral of that story is. Don't. Yeah. Don't cult. Don't cult, please. Please, no, no. cult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm changing the please to steppy flag. <laughs> please no cult <laughs> please no cult alright uh, sign off something something follow us on social media Palm Pitch Pod you know the drill donate to our Patreon if you'd like to do that because that'd be cool it'd and, be way cool I don't know tell us if you want some merch hit us up on yeah. social media I'm like always willing to talk I yes I love talking to people <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that's it okay love you bye love you bye <laughs> Yeah.